God looks at things by years. In fact, he even judged Israel based on certain years. In the book of Revelation, we have all these years spoken about. God looks at things like he does from years. God also looks at cities, for example. And though he's a God who we stand before God individually, there's a collective as well. God also uh, talks about decades. And for us, I think we stand not only at the beginning of a new year, but a new decade. God has built laws and recommendations into certain decades. For example, at the age of 20, there's uh, a time for going to war. At the age of 30, there's a time for being able to be a priest. At the age of 50, there's a time of becoming a management in the priesthood. And at the age of 60, that's when a lady can be uh, taken into the church and being cared for. At the age of 70, God says, you've pretty much uh, lived your uh, promised years. Even at 40, God talked about the 40th year uh, to Israel. The fact is, God looks at things in years, and He looks at it in decades. Now, together, as a church, we face not only a new year, but a new decade. Now, if the Lord tarries is coming in 10 years, we're going to look back on this decade and say, in this decade, the 20th or the 30th, the 2020s, as we go into the 2030s, we uh, are facing a critical juncture, I believe, in our church's life. I believe it's the same is true for our nation. As a church, I think we have grown to the point where we are about ready to become in something more than we've ever become. My prayer of late and just a sense that God has given me that uh, God would uh, increase us greatly and not, let not our um, cattle uh, decrease <laughs> as David prayed. But I believe there's an increase coming. I do. I sense it. But this is also a critical juncture in our nation's life, even in the world. Think about what's going on in the world today. Fractured families, political strife, rampant violence, blatant perversion, drug use growing exponentially, countries around the world in turmoil, the threat of socialism looms, catastrophic weather events, poor health despite all the advances of modern medicine, uncertain futures, religious persecution, Christians dying at a rate in never history before. And as we look around us, there are some serious issues. And I think we could honestly get to worrying if we started thinking about these things. And then if that weren't bad enough, because of the internet, we don't ever get a break. I mean, it used to be, you know, you could get the morning paper or maybe you'd watch the evening news, but other than that, you didn't hear much about it. Nowadays, it is nonstop because we have these smartphones. We get breaking news instantly. Frac frankly, folks, it is nonstop bad news. And uh, lately, people have been just inundated with all this political strife. The fact is, folks, uh, there is a lot to worry about from a human standpoint. It doesn't surprise me then that uh, at the end of this year, they gave us the most searched verse in the internet last year. What was the Bible verse that was searched more than any other time worldwide? And that's our verse for today. 
And that is Philippians 4, verse 6. It doesn't surprise me. Be careful or anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Now, the fact is, uh, this worry that, uh, and this care that comes on our heart is only, uh, only increases if you have children. And then if you have grandchildren, you wonder, what kind of a world am I leaving behind? Honestly, it gets to the point where it just steals your joy. However, it is certainly not what the Lord wants. Believers' lives are not supposed to be filled with sleepless nights and panic attacks and crippling anxiety. God has given us joy, and He's given us a, a hope, and He's given us a, a plan. He said, don't worry, and He gives what to do instead. According to recent headlines, uh, here's the headlines. We are now living in the United States of anxiety. Anxiety is now considered epidemic stage in the United States. More Americans suffer from anxiety in uh, proportion to the national population than any country in the world. Anxiety disorders, listen to this, anxiety disorders affect 40 million Americans. <laughs> 40 million Three of the top-selling drugs sold in America are for mental illness. $42 billion a year is spent on anxiety-related disorders. And now with marijuana becoming so prevalent, my uh, daughter who's a nurse, uh, she has to take uh, people's um, you know, history when they uh, are ready to do a procedure. And she said, it is amazing how m the percentage of people now that smoke marijuana. I mean, it's just... You just can't believe it. people, you know, little old nice little gray-haired ladies walk in there, you know. Yeah, I use marijuana on a daily basis. Folks, we are hyped up. We are, uh, we are, we are on, we're going crazy in America. And I'll tell you one thing, we need this verse. We need this verse to remind us that we are not to worry. And so uh, God has given me a, uh, he has given me a motto for this next year. And may I dare say for our Next, dec next decade. And if you'll put that up above me there, I'll go back to that beginning. If you would, please go to the first thing. There it is. By His grace and for His glory. Amen. That's the answer to life. Amen. Everything I got to do, what does God call me to do this year? By His grace, we'll get her done. And why am I doing it? And when things happen and things fall down around me, somehow God's going to get glory from this. And so by His grace and for His glory. Well, um, I, uh, after, after dropping all that bad news on you, uh, let me give you something cute here. You can tell when it's going to be a rotten day. Uh, get, don't get worried now. Uh, here's the first thing. You call suicide prevention, and they put you on hold. <laughs> um, how do you know it's going to be a rotten day? Your birthday cape collapses from the weight of the candles. <laughs> you turn on the news, and they're showing emergency routes out of the city. Your twin sister forgot your birthday. Um, how do you know it's going to be a rotten day? Your, corn, your car horn goes off accidentally, and it remains stuck as you follow a group of hell's angels on the freeway. <laughs> how do you know it's going to be a rotten day? Your boss tells you, don't bother to take your coat off. How do you know it's going to be a rotten day? The bird singing outside your window is a buzzard. <laughs> and uh, how do you know it's going to be a rotten day? You wake up, and your braces are locked together. How do you know it's going to be a rotten year? Your income tax check bounces. There you go. All right. That's a rotten time for sure. But we're going to ask God to give us His grace 
by His grace and for His glory. Father, thank You for this morning. I pray, God, that You'll just be with us. And Lord, I pray that You will fill me. Oh, God. I pray that I'll be Your vessel. And Lord, I pray now that uh, I just present my mind to You, as a, my body to You as a living sacrifice. I pray that, Lord, I'll have no, uh, uh, no uh, my own humanness, Lord, but that You'll just use it, Your uh, Word and Your power your spirit to just meet with us all. Give us this word, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's uh, go to this verse here, verse number six. Let's all read verse six and seven together, if you would, please. Ready? Let's read it out loud. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, this scripture here is not theory. It's not some cute little quote or uh, happy little bromide that we can take with us and pin on the wall, although it's certainly worthy of putting on the walls of our home. The fact is, this is holy scripture given to us by none other than the great Apostle Paul, and it was given to us while he was sitting in a prison in Rome, the Mamertine prison. It sounds like, almost like he's sitting in a five-star hotel looking out saying, folks, don't worry about a thing. <laughs> I always tickles me. Some of these modern-day uh, TV evangelists, there's one lady in particular, she's always telling everybody that they can have a successful life and they can, have, they can look so good and be healthy and you know, who knows how many... Uh, plastic surgery she's had and um, all the, you know, drives around these big old uh, flies, private jets everywhere. It's like, yeah, I guess I wouldn't worry either if I had all those resources. But the fact is, this man was in a prison. The apostle Paul was saying, folks, we don't need to worry because there's some options that we have in our life. Now, let's do a quick word study here in this little first phrase, be careful for nothing. Now, the word nothing there actually in the Greek, original Greek language is at the beginning of the sentence, and it's put there for emphasis. Here's how it would read in the Greek, nothing, be careful for, nothing. The word nothing is medice. It comes from two words, the first one, uh, med, which means not, and the second one, heis, which means one. So literally, it means not even one thing. So let's read it that way. Not even one thing be careful for, or not even one thing be anxious for. And I love the King James translators here because they use the most exclusive word in the English language. Nothing, 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 <laughs> not one thing, as the Greek language says. Nothing, absolutely nothing. So first of all, it says nothing be careful for, or as we might say, anxious for, or more commonly worried about. Now, let's look at the word careful. There's actually two uh, parts to being careful. There's actually a good side, and there's a good sense. When we have godly concern for our, our own welfare, uh, for the welfare of our family, or for the welfare of others, uh, for example, the Apostle Paul spoke of being full of care for the church. Second Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 28, he said, the care of all the churches weighs upon me. This was not an ungodly worry, but it was a godly uh, caring about the needs of the people. 
But even legitimate care can so dominate our minds and our lives that it just chokes out the Word of God and we become unfruitful. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. He said, the cares of this world choke the Word out. We're so, we're so cared and we're so burdened down with everything, we become unfruitful. It's all too easy to let the cares of this world just take away our joy and take away all the things we have in God. It's interesting about worry, the English word worry. It, uh, you go back to the beginning of it, it's actually a German word. It comes from the word worgen, which means to strangle, to strangle. And that's exactly what worry does. It strangles our mind and it strangles our emotions and it strangles us. It's been said that the average person crucifies or strangles himself between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. 19th century great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, our anxiety, our worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but only empties today of its strength. And you'll like this one. A man went to the psychiatrist and said, sometimes I think I'm a teepee and sometimes I think I'm a wigwam. Well, the psychiatrist said, I know exactly what's wrong with you. Your problem is you're too tense. <laughs> T-E-N-T-S. All right, you're too tense. All right, there you go. Oh, yeah, you'll think about that one later. But uh, I want you to know this is, not a, this is not a suggestion. God's not saying if you, if you can and you ought to try to not worry. He said, never worry. It's a command of God. If it's a command, then God has given us the power to obey it. How can we do it? Only by the indwelling Spirit of God. He alone can enable us. We must still make the choice to obey. There's a divine irony in this verse, and that is that we are 100% dependent while being 100% responsible. Now, as we come to this motto for 2020 and beyond, we are going to say there's two things that I'm just going to ask us to do by His grace. What do I mean by that? Trusting God to act consistently with His revealed character. We're going to trust God to act consistently with His revealed character. His character is this. We would not imagine Him doing anything but that. Let's look at this second part of verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. That's where I'm going to get my power, by grace, God's grace. Never worry. How do we not worry? Pray about everything. Now you say, well, how can I pray about everything? What makes me want to pray about everything? Well, you got to go back to verse 5. If you go back to verse 5, you'll find what that says. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord, and there's a period, the Lord is at hand. Now, our King James translators and others, they do a great job of translating, but you got to remember these little verses aren't uh, little numbers there, aren't, uh, that's not in God's Word, that's just supplied. And so actually this last part, the Lord is at hand, that actually is a linking. And I don't know anything, I, don't, I know very little about English grammar, and, but I want to say this is a predicate. And uh, anyway, at any rate, this, the Lord is at hand, it is, it is a linking statement to what follows. Since the Lord is at hand, I don't need to worry. Therefore, I can pray because the Lord's at hand. You'd say, well, what does it mean, the Lord's at hand? It means He's near. You'd say, well, 
Hallelujah, this is talking about the coming return of Christ. And it could be. It could be referring to the rapture. And certainly, that is very true. The Lord's coming back today, so don't worry. I'd say that's a a good way to be able to interpret the verse. I'm not sure that's the primary way, but that's a good way, for sure. That's a truth. Or it could be used in the sense, the Lord is near. You're going to see the Lord in a very near time. (laughs) That is, for the believer, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of a saint. And so, you're about ready to see Jesus. Death is quicker than you might imagine. So, be encouraged. Know that the Lord is close. He's near. But I really don't believe that's what God is saying. I believe in this verse what He's saying is He is near in space in the sense of His presence, in His proximity. He is near to me. He is very near. Psalm 119, verse 151, Thou art near, O Lord, and all Thy commandments, they are so precious. They're so. If He's near, then all I have to do is whisper even a prayer, and He's near enough to hear it. I was reading Psalm 116 over the last couple of weeks, and this little part there which says, because he hath inclined his ear unto me. And I like looking at some of these verses in other translations just as kind of uh, uh, like a little commentary. I don't especially um, make them to be God's Word, but I love to use them. But one of them talked about that God leans towards us. And I love that concept that God inclines his ear. God is leaning constantly. And as I get older, I often have to lean towards somebody to hear them, and I'm leaning towards them. God says He is leaning towards me. Now, that means that God wants to hear me. When you are leaning towards somebody, you want to hear them. If you don't care, you know, you just like whatever, but He wants to hear us. Now we get to the crux of the issue. My view of God controls my conduct. If I know He's close, if I know He's leaning in, if I know it's His very nature to help me, then that helps me pray. That helps me know that God's going to listen to me. Lynette, uh, uh, who is with the Lord, one of her favorite books was uh, Hind's Feet on High Places. It was a very popular book written in the 1950s. It's an allegory uh, of a believer who is uh, this one called Much Afraid. <laughs> Much Afraid. And uh, much afraid goes through life, uh, always fearing what's happening next. And, but the shepherd said to much afraid, if you ever need me, all you have to do is call and I'll be there. I'll be there. And that's what God is saying here to us, much afraid. He is saying, it is my nature as a divine shepherd to be close to those who are much afraid. And that's what God says to us this morning. He said, I am here. And so he is inviting us to pray because He's near. He's inviting us to pray because He's close. He's saying, all my resources are at your hand. All my power are near to you. All my wisdom you can have, my strength, they're there for you. And you don't have to worry if I'm close. I'm leaning into you. I'm leaning in. Just it, all you have to do is call, much afraid, and I'm there for you. Someone once said that worry means we believe more in our problems than in God's promises. When wise guys said, don't tell me worry doesn't work. All the things I worry about don't happen. (laughs) Another guy said, life is too short to worry. Yeah, that's what worries me. (laughs) But uh, verse number five, 
The Lord is near. You're going to have to get the tape on some of these. The Lord is near. He is so near that he, I don't have to be anxious for anything. Now, that is a linking sequential statement. Because the Lord is near, I don't need to worry. We can handle problems because of God's nature. He's near. The more I know about the nature of God, the more I come to Him in prayer. The least, when I don't know more about Him, I don't care about prayer because I think this helps or this helps, but it's God's nature to help us. I can trust God. Why? Because, first of all, He is holy. Let me just go through several of His nature, His qualities of His nature. And there's actually more than the ones I'm going to give you here, but here's a few of them. Here's uh, the fact that He is holy. 1 Peter 1.15, be, but as he which is called you is holy. He is totally separate for sin. If he's totally separate from sin, then I know he will never sinfully mistreat me, ever. God never will ever mistreat me. Why? He can't. It is impossible because he is holy. I know you're holy, and because of that, Lord, I know that what I'm going through is not something because you hate me. You're holy. God is just. He always carries out his law. Hebrews 6 and verse 10, for God is not unrighteous or unjust to forget your work and labor of love. Yes, there is a retributive side to God's justice, but thank God there's a reward side as well. God always rewards his people. He's also righteous. God always does right. He's never, ever done wrong. That's what Abraham said, Genesis 18, verse 25, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's a guarantee. Folks, if he made a promise, he always stands by him. Now, even good people sometimes don't do good on their promises, but never God. He's always righteous. God is love, loving. He's always concerned for the welfare of those whom he loves. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And I'm always glad that the Holy Spirit put that little word, so, it didn't just say God loved the world. It says he so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Folks, that's the greatest love of all. God is merciful. He's always compassionate towards sinful people. The great prophet Micah said, who is like God? He delighteth in mercy. He's not just merciful. It's the delight of his heart to show mercy. The Hebrew word for mercy is the feeling of a mother towards it actually is an actual root word means womb. It's the idea of a woman whose love she has for the child that's in her womb, and she's very merciful towards that. I'm not sure if I put it up there, but God is sovereign. Psalm 31 and verse 15, my times are in thy hands. You know we can trust God. He's been running this world a long time. My times are in your hands, Lord. You're a sovereign God. He's gracious. He's gracious. His divine strength is a gift to us. Psalm 116, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. There you go. There's three attributes right there. Gracious, righteous, and merciful. That's a great prayer promise. God, because you're gracious, I come to you for strength. The apostle Paul said, you wonder how I've been able to make it? You wonder how I can get through life? By the grace of God, I am what I am. Psalm, or 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, anything good done by me? By the grace of God. Hallelujah, by His grace. If it's by His grace, then it's for His glory. That's what God is saying here. You know, the average person, I hear 
they have anxiety or they have worry or they have this problem or they have this problem. And you hear it on TV all the time or you hear it on the radio, you hear it on the internet, you read about it here or there, or you hear people say all around, they'll say, you know what? You need to talk to a professional. You need to talk to somebody about your problem. That's what they all say. You need to talk to somebody about your problem. And I will say that could be good. There's a possibility there's a, some help in that, especially if it's biblical. Someone talks to you biblical things, but the fact is, folks, we have a, something far better, and that is we can always go to God who's got an answer in His Word because our God is so great. He's righteous, and He's holy, and He's loving, and He's merciful, and He's righteous, and all these amazing things about God. God does have an answer. The fact is, folks, it is uh, blasphemy to think that humans have the answer and God doesn't have the answer. In fact, there's this little mindset going through the medical world, especially seems like the mental health world, that, uh, you know, thank the Lord we have all these research now, and thank the Lord we have all this medicine now, or not thank the Lord, but uh, we're glad we have all these resources. We're glad we have all this medicine because we don't need God anymore, folks. It is God who gives strength for any medicine to work. It is God for any therapy or any ideas to work. It is God. We live in a day when people want to get around God, but God is where our answer is. The fact is an inadequate knowledge of God is the reason why we have worry, but an adequate trust in God is where we get our faith. One very smart person once said, why worry when you can pray? Another person put a sign in their house. They said, have you prayed about it? That's a pretty good little sign. Have you prayed about it? I think you ought to get your iPhone and plug it into an alert every day. Have you prayed about it? Or maybe five times a day, have you prayed about it? You'd say, well, yeah, I pray about all the big stuff, folks. God wants us to pray about everything. I'm not sure who said it, but it's beautiful. There is nothing too great for God's power, and there is nothing too small for His fatherly care. And that's why it says, pray about everything. Pray about everything, he said. I want you to pray about everything, whatever, no exception, no place is off limits, nothing is off limits. You can pray about everything. What's the cure to worry? When I know that he's near, and because his nature is so amazing, he's loving, he's kind, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's, he's all these wonderful things. He's good, he's righteous, because I know that this good God is near me, because I know that this good God is merciful to me, because I know this uh, great God is here, and I, he has given me this invitation to pray, then by his grace we can get it done. How are we going to do it this year? By his grace. How are you going to be a husband this year? By His grace. How are you going to be a wife this year? By His grace. How are you going to be a mom or a dad or a grandparent? How are we going to make it through our job? By His grace. Only by His grace. We are 100% dependent, and at the same time, we're 100% dependent. It is the divine irony of living in this world, and that's what God has called us to do. He is saying, trust me. I will always act consistent with my character. God is never out of character. He's never out of sorts. He's never having a bad day. He's never in a bad mood. He always acts in accordance with His Word. Someone might see you or me and say, well, you know, you didn't look very nice or you didn't talk very nice or, well, that's just a fact. Sometimes we're human. And even our general character might be this. Sometimes we, 
We just kind of miss it that day or that moment. That's just what happens. We're human. But you'll never be like that with God. You'll never look at God and God will be looking at you saying, I don't want to talk to you. Never be like that. God is merciful. He's loving by his grace. We trust God to act according with his revealed character. Number two, what's the theme for this next year? What's the theme for this whole decade? For his glory. How are we going to do it? By his grace. What are we going to do it for? For his glory. We're going to react to problems with thankful prayer. All right, let's look at verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Three different words for prayer here. First of all, the word prayer. Let your prayers be made known. It's actually the word for offering up our needs, our desires, whether it be specific or general, just an idea of offering up to God our needs, prayer. Then the word supplication. He said, I want you to pray. Just offer everything up to God. Big, little, offer it up. Then I want you to supplicate. The idea is keeping it up. The idea is humility. The idea is over and over again. You supplicate. You, you know, like a child that comes to you and says, uh, I want this. And okay. And they come to you and they wait five seconds. I want this. Okay, okay. They wait five more seconds. I want this. Okay, okay. Papa, when are we going to open up the Christmas presents? We're going to do it in a few minutes. Papa, when are we going to open up the Christmas presents? In a few minutes. Papa, when are we going to? In a few minutes. That's when we're going to do it. And God said, I want you to, I want you to offer it up to me. Then I want you to supplicate. Then he said, I want you to request. Let your requests be made known. The idea is asking with urgency, with passion. I've often said that, you know what, I've prayed many a time, but I've never prayed with a broken heart where God didn't answer, ever. When you, when you have a broken heart, that's, the, that's, the, that's one of the flip sides to having a, a, a bad day. It gives you power in prayer. It just does. That's, the big, that's the, one of the, the best things about having a, a bad time. It makes you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm having a bad time. That's when you can make your requests. Then notice what it says, make them known unto God. Make your requests known to God. You'd say, well, pastor, wait a second. I thought the nature of God was that he was omniscient. He knows everything. He does. God, in fact, already knows before we ask what we ask for. You'd say, well, then why do we have to make known our requests unto God? Let me suggest three reasons. First of all, God enjoys the communion with us. He likes hanging out with us. Surprise, surprise. I don't know why he does, but he does. He likes hanging out with you, and he just does. Second of all, God doesn't want to be taken for granted like a divine ATM machine. Oh, God will take care of me. Wait a second. It's all right to ask God. God says, you're to pray every day. God, give us this day our daily bread, and yet most of us don't pray for our daily bread. We just take it for granted. We're going to have it. But God said, you know what? You ought to pause when you pray, and you ought to say, thank you for this bread. I don't deserve it but I thank you for it. I think there's a third reason, not only because he enjoys the communion, not only because he doesn't want to be taken for granted, but I think making it known to God counters self-reliance, that I can do it myself syndrome, that I don't really need you, God. We do it for his glory. Psalm 115 and verse number one, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name, give glory. What are we here for? For God's glory. 
Everything about my life is to be for God's glory. If I do a job with excellence, it's for God's glory. If I study, it's for God's glory. If I write something, it's for God's glory. If I interact with somebody, it's for God's glory. Whatever. It may not be that I ever even mention God. It might be that I never even you know, give a verse or give a track. It's just that all day long, I live for the glory of God. I want to be honest because God is honest. I want to be joyful because our God is the fountain of joy. I want to be wise because our God is wise. I want to get, give God all the glory. Every decision we make, everything we do, Lord, we want you to get glory. No matter what happens this next year, God, we want you to get glory. Now, there's going to be good times, and because we're human, there's going to be difficult times. But through it all, God gets glory. Why? Well, that's why God called us. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 12, the great prayer of the Apostle Paul, he said that we should be to the praise of His glory. We should be to the praise of His glory. Now, I am blessed to get compliments and get uh, nice cards. And this time of the year, you've been so thoughtful. Thank you. And uh, I especially love those compliments that have little food attached to it. But uh, the fact is, uh, the fact is, I love the compliments. They're very encouraging. But I will say this, you know it and I know it, that whatever comes to me, I just want to tell you, it's because of God. Whatever, it's God. To God be the glory. And that's what he's saying here, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Just keep deflecting. Someone says to you, you know, just be a big old mirror. People, you know, point, just take that mirror and just say, yeah, it's God. Boy, it's, it's just God. I will tell you right now, that's why God said, be the, be the light to this world, be a light. Basically, He's the light. I'm just a mirror. I just take that and I just kind of take it and reflect it to others. People see the bright and they say, oh, you're so, you're so kind. I, honestly, the only reason I'm kind is because of Jesus. Boy, you're so, you're so joyful. I, just God. You're, you know, it's just God. I don't mean we have to say it all the time, but the fact is, and if I say thank you and don't say it's God, please know, 110%, I absolutely know it's God. And anything good is for the praise of His glory. And that's what God's saying here. Live, first of all, by His grace. Everything is because of God. It's, we're 100% dependent, but yes, we're 100% responsible to seek that. But at the same time, it's for His glory. Notice we're supposed to pray finally in this verse. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. So pray about everything. Pray. We're supposed to, we're supposed to make sure that we uh, give our requests. And then notice, every prayer should be done with thanksgiving. Now, why, how in the world can I possibly pray with thanksgiving? I don't even know I have it yet. Doesn't it seem presumptuous to pray with thanksgiving? Not at all. What we're saying is, Lord, I thank you that in this request, somehow you're going to get glory. Lord, I, will, I yield up my hands. I will do what I can do. But Lord, when you answer, it's because of you. God, if you give strength, it's you. If you give wisdom, it's you. God, if it's all about you, if you give a healing, it's you. It's you with thanksgiving. At the beginning of the prayer, you say, God, I submit to you, to you be all the glory. 
I give you thanksgiving already for whatever answer. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's God. It's the Lord. It's God. And that's what we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to pray that it's for God's sake. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15, all things are for your sakes, Paul said, that the abundant grace might be through the thanksgiving of many to redound to the glory of God. Everything comes down, redounds. Everything comes down to the glory of God. It all comes down to the glory of God. This releases me from fear. It releases me from worry because I see God's purpose in whatever's happening. What's the result? Look at verse 7. We love verse 7. And the peace of God, and the peace of God, not even peace with God, although that's great. We're talking about God's peace. Now, not somebody else's peace because they just won the lotto. We're talking about God's peace. God's peace, which passes understanding. I mean, there's no explaining it, but you can't put two two and two together on this one. It's just it's uncanny. It's just, wow. God's glory shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to see something about this verse. Did you know that in this verse, it doesn't say that God ever answered the prayer? In no place, verse 6 or 7, does it ever say God answered it like we want it or when we wanted it. Not one time. But God did say, I'll give you peace. God didn't say, you're going to get exactly what you pray for, and you're going to get exactly what you want. Mm -mm. He just said, I will give you peace. And isn't that what we really want? That's what we really want. We just want peace. Because it's to you, Lord, whatever you want. This is not my choice, God. I don't want this. I don't want this. It's not what I want. But God, if that's what you want, then hallelujah. I thank you for your peace. Because I thank you already, God, that you're going to get glory in this. And my life is for your glory. I want everything that I do and say to redound to the glory of God. It's not about me. It's about you. The older I get, the older I, more I realize it's not about me. It's about God. And my friend, Peace is something that no counselor will ever give you. It's something that no therapy will ever give you. It's no, no technique can give peace, God's peace. Oh, they can give you a little method to do this or that and deal with your anger or your frustration or your worry or whatever. But the fact is, supernatural peace of God comes by the grace of God. And it comes because we submit to the character of God and the nature of God because you're so great, God. I know you never act out of character, ever. You're merciful, you're good, you're righteous, you're loving, you're wise, you're strength-giving, you're gracious, you're so sovereign, God. May my life be to your honor and glory. You'd say, well, how can I do this? 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5, bring into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. My little thoughts are running out here. Get that thought. Come back in here. Another little thought run over. Come back here, thought. Have you ever tried to get a bunch of kittens together that started walking? They run that way. Come over here, cat. Just when you get this one. (laughs) You're trying to, man, trying to herd a bunch of kittens. It's crazy. That's about what our thoughts are like. 
I'll think one thing, and while I'm thinking that thing, another one will run off that way pretty soon. I mean, four or five or six thoughts. I can start with the fact that the offerings might be down. I mean, before long, I'm starving. My kids are on, you know, welfare, and uh, like, my goodness, those thoughts are just crazy. God said, bring them into obedience. Bring every thought in. Bring them in. Gather them in. You'd say, what's the obedience of Christ? Get them inside the Bible. Put those thoughts inside that wonderful walls of protection of the Word of God, the beautiful Word of God. That let, the, let all those thoughts be analyzed by the Bible, and you'll find that every one of them are crazy. And sooner or later, we recognize that as we pray with thanksgiving, that God has an overarching purpose for everything. Look around and be distressed. Look inside and be depressed. Look at Jesus and be at rest. I'm going to ask our, uh, yes, let's give God a hand here this morning. Amen. I'm going to ask our ushers, would you get these little reminder cards and let's hand them out to everybody right now. And thank you, Beth, Miss Beth, for putting these together. I want you to put it in your Bible. I want you to maybe put it on your dashboard there or uh, everybody get one of these and thank you. They're so beautiful. But I want you to think about this, this, this year, this coming year. And as you're praying, you're saying, God, I'm, I'm going to pray. I need your strength. And I know everything happens because of your grace. And I know, Lord, whatever happens, it's for your glory. The great author and great pastor, A.B. Simpson, once told about a farmer who plowed around a large rock in his field year after year. It had broken one cultivator, a couple of plowshares. Every time he saw that rock, it just irritated him. He grumbled. One day he decided, I'm so tired of that rock. He decided to dig it up and be done with it. So he put a large crowbar under one side of that rock and a pick on the other and found, to his surprise, that rock was less than a foot thick. He pried it out of the ground, put it on his wagon and carted it away. He said, I cannot believe all these years... I have lived with the frustration of that stupid rock when I could have just gotten rid of it. Now, folks, not all of our troubles can be removed as easily as that stone, but the truth is we have two amazing tools at our disposal to, to leverage. Today, that's one of the popular words. Everybody's leveraging everything. You know, we're going to leverage our relationship. We're going to leverage this. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Let's leverage our problems with for by His grace and for His glory. That's the two weapons we have. That's the two instruments that we're going to pick up those rocks that we're cultivating. We're going to say, you know what? I'm done with it. God, it's your strength. And Lord, whatever you choose, it's for your glory. I've been so grateful for the national voice of Franklin Graham. I'm sure you have too. The oldest son of Billy and Ruth Graham. What people may not know as they listen to him now, these looked at as an old, white, evangelical bigot or whatever by many. But the fact is, many people don't realize that he had a very wild and destructive life. In fact, when he, he has a book out, I think, called uh, God's Rebel or something like that, but um, his mother, Ruth, found herself just torn 
with worry. One night, praying, three o'clock in the morning, here's her testimony. She said, suddenly, the Lord seemed to tell me, quit studying the problems and start studying the promises. She said, I got out of my bed. I went over and I picked up my Bible. And the first page I opened it to was Philippians 4, 6. Don't be careful. Don't be so anxious. Don't be worried. But in everything by prayer, get the strength of God because he's near. He's near. He's near. His nature is near. His character is near. His strength is near. His grace is near. His mercy is near. By God's grace, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to let my request be made known unto God. I'm going to supplicate. I'm going to ask again and again. I'm going to ask with passion. Oh, God, cry out to God. Lord, I need you. And aren't you glad that we can cry out? We don't have to say all these theological words like I'm saying this morning. I can just simply come to God and say, oh, oh, that's my favorite prayer promise in all the Bible. And you find it over, over and again in the book of Psalms. Oh, oh, oh. And there are times when all you can say is, oh, and we cry out to God. Maybe this year, maybe this decade, we could start by saying, Lord, I plan afresh and anew to get to know you, to get to know your character. I'm going to ask our companies if you would come and our worship team, you make your way to the platform. As they're making their way to the platform, and sisters, you begin to play. I want to read to you, I think, one of the most beautiful Christian lines of poetry. I love it every time I read it. Written by Ralph Cushman. Ralph Cushman was a well-known cleric. He was uh, born in the late 1800s, died in the 60s, I believe, but he was a great, uh, a great pastor. Here's his words, and I think this is where we need to begin this new year. I met God in the morning when my day was at its best, and his presence came like sunrise like a glory in my breast. All day long his presence lingered. All day long he stayed with me. And we sailed in perfect calmness o'er a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered. Other ships were sore distressed. But the winds that seemed to drive them <laughs> brought to me, to us, a peace and rest. Then I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mine, when I too had loosed the moorings with thy presence left behind. So I think now the secret learned from many troubled away. You must seek him in the morning if you want him through the day. I can't think of a better way to end 2019 and to start 2020, not only a new year, but a new decade with this motto, with this purpose, God, I plan to live by your grace and for your glory. And I invite you to come and kneel here, or if you're not able to do that, stand, or even at your seat. But I'm going to ask you this morning to join me in saying, yes, as we start this new year, I'm going to live by the grace of God and for the glory of God, because I know his nature, I know who he is, and I see it in the word. And as I know it more and more, I'll seek him more.
would you stand with me at this time? Let's go to the Lord in prayer.